Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Welcome everyone to Disciple the Nation Sunday and our Vision Month. Last weekend we launched our Vision Summit and Vision Sunday across all of our locations. It was a powerful time and so good to see so many of us back together again. We had an awesome 9am service streaming to all of our locations and now we're going to hear what God's got for us as we focus on our global mission ministry. So why don't we pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. We thank you, Father, that uh, you are the ultimate example of what it means to be on mission. Uh, you sent us your one and only Son to come and live amongst us and to show us the way to the Father. And then you laid your life down, you sacrificed yourself, and then you rose again three days later, conquering sin and Satan and death. And now we have an opportunity to not only be reconciled back to you, but to hear the call and answer the call to go and bring reconciliation to a broken world around us. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak into every heart, every person, oh God, that you would transform our focus off of ourselves onto you, onto your kingdom, and what it is that you've called us to do as we go and disciple the nations. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Before you sit down, can we just put our hands together and honour our worship team? They did an absolutely phenomenal job today. Thank you so much for leading us. Why don't you grab a seat? I want to invite you to turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And can I encourage us to bring our Bibles along to church, whether that's on your device or you go old school, no school like the old school. And um, let's just be a people of the Word. God's Word's our foundation next week. We're going to be talking more about our kingdom culture across all our locations, who we are in terms of our values, how that informs why we do what we do. And one of those values is God's words, our foundation. We want to really honour the word in how we go about our ministry here. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In 1956, uh, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries, they flew deep into the jungles of Ecuador on mission. And they were already uh, on mission in Ecuador, but heard about this tribe uh, deep in the jungles that was an unreached people group. People had never reached out to these uh, group that were very primal and tribal in, in the way that they did life. And so they flew in and they made contact with an orca tribe and for several days were dropping gifts in from their plane, but eventually landed. And within a few days of making contact and trying to communicate of God's heart and love for them, tragically, they were savagely killed with spears. And two years later, God in fact came to the widows of these martyrs, these missionaries, and called Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint to go and live with the same tribe that had killed their husbands and loved ones and share God's love with them and preach the gospel and make disciples of these people in Ecuador. And all of those responsible for killing the missionaries were saved and radically transformed 
by God's grace and compassion of these two widows. And decades later, one of the sons of one of the martyred missionaries, Nate Saint, was ministering on the same platform with the person that had actually killed his father, testifying to the power of God's grace. And in fact, my father, uh, my own father informed me this morning that back in uh, the year 2000 at a Billy Graham evangelistic conference in Amsterdam, my dad was in the room and saw uh, Nate Saint with this tribal leader who, had, who was testifying to the power of God's grace and love. And so it's an amazing story. In fact, I think it's challenging to all of us in terms of where our own level of sacrifice is at when it comes to serving the purposes of God on mission. What would compel a person to go and live with the very people who killed the loved ones uh, and the, the husbands that, that, that these ladies loved so much, their kids were without a father, what would compel someone to do that? I think the answer is twofold. One, that these ladies' hearts were captivated by God's love for broken humanity. Unless we have an encounter with the love of God, why would any of us do anything that was sort of selfless in terms of being willing to serve others at our own expense, our own sacrifice, our own inconvenience? But also I think there's another reason, that it's only a heart that has truly understood and answered God's call to mission would ever attempt to entertain such an idea to go and sacrifice in such a way. Now, the truth is, the majority of us will never fly into the jungles of Ecuador, and secretly some of you are saying, thank you, Jesus. Um, and, and most of us, if not all of us, will never have to even be persecuted for our faith let alone lay our lives down on mission in some uh, deep, dark jungle overseas. And yet every single person in this room has been called to go and make disciples of all nations. Our mission as a church and as individual believers is to advance God's kingdom across the nations. Jesus exhorted us to pray in Matthew 6, 9 and 10. He said, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the things that we discover as we begin to read the word of God is that God has a dream. And he gives us glimpses in his word of insights, various scriptures into what his dream is. In other words, God's dream is that more and more of this planet would look more and more like heaven. And we are called to partner with him in the fulfillment of God's vision for planet Earth. I used to think growing up as an adolescent, I'm not too sure that I can trust God with my dream. Can you really be trusted God with my dream? And the Holy Spirit would interrupt me and say, wrong question. The right question is, can I trust you with my dream? And I think that we fail sometimes to understand that whilst we are guilty of using God to fulfill our dreams and visions for our lives, God's dream remains idle because we're ignoring it, thinking that God exists to serve our comforts and our conveniences and our ideas of how life should be lived rather than us getting on his page and what he's trying to do in the earth. The reality is God is looking for people to answer the call to fulfill his dream. And uh, when you and I make his dream our first priority, it's amazing what God will do in your life. The Bible says God's eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And so God is looking for people and, 
Habakkuk was one of the people that God was looking for to use and Habakkuk prophesied that there was a day to come when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It was a declaration of God's intent, his dream in his heart for more and more of this planet to look more and more like heaven. And fast forward to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, we read of the fulfillment of this prophecy as Jesus returns to earth and God establishes a new heaven and a new earth. In between Habakkuk's prophecy several thousand years ago and the final consummation of God's kingdom at the end of time, we have what the Bible teaches us, kingdom now. This is where you and I come into the center of God's story. Kingdom now is the immediate breaking in of God's rule, his lordship, his will and power in the earthly realm. And this is relevant to every single believer in this room. God has called us to play our part in advancing his kingdom now in our generation. The kingdom of God coming is not simply to be enjoyed and expressed when you die and when you go and spend uh, all of eternity in the presence of God. The kingdom of God is supposed to be experienced, it's supposed to be understood, and it's supposed to be embraced and advanced now in the earth. You see, just as Israel was called to be a witness of who God was to the nations around about them, you and I need to understand that the fundamental call of the local church is that we are commissioned to go and advance God's kingdom and the primary strategy that God has given us to do that is as we plant churches, we make disciples of all nations. I love what Pastor Bruce Hills shared at our Vision Summit just last weekend. He said, God's church doesn't have a mission, God's mission has a church. We are the vehicle of the kingdom of God. You in your workplace and with your family, you are, the, you are the person, the individual, you're the vessel, you're the conduit of God's power and glory and might in the earth. You see, I think sometimes we often get stuck and almost paralyzed in our faith asking God the question, what is your will for my life? Have you ever asked that question? What's God's will for my life? It's not a bad question. It's a good question. In fact, it's the number one question that I would often get asked as I traveled around preaching at different conferences and churches. What's God's will for my life? As if I was like some sort of shaman that could reveal every specific detail of some person's life. And sometimes when you move in the prophetic gift, it can feel a little bit like that, that you're a dispenser of everyone's details. But when we ask that question, what is God's will for my life? Well, what we're actually asking is, what is God's specific blueprint for my job, where should I work, what should I do, how should I, you know, who should I marry, how should I live my life, where should I live? And often we can get so paralyzed because we're waiting for a voice when God's already given to us a verse about how we should live our lives and what God's ultimate will is for our lives. God has already revealed to us through his word, the general counsel of his will. And what we've got to stop doing is treating God's commands as God's suggestions and as optional extras of what we should do with our life and start to take this word of God seriously about how we should live our lives. And this is my encouragement to you that as you get busy obeying God's revealed will, his unrevealed will will often take care of itself. 
As you and I get on God's page and, uh, and God's sentence and God's line of communication, as we eavesdrop in on what God is trying to do in the earth, often a lot of the trivial details of our lives that we are searching answers for will often take care of themselves because as we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all these other things start to get added to us. We've got to continually make Jesus' last command our first priority. And there are three primary ways that we do that. Firstly, we've got to pray for laborers to reap the harvest. We're going to be a people of prayer. Prayer fuels power. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus said this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, whilst the Bible encourages us to pray for our needs, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus exhorted us to pray for our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Speaking about our daily need for practical provision. And so the Bible exhorts us with this idea, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The problem is many of us get stuck only ever praying for our needs when the great emphasis in Scripture is to trust God for your needs and to pray for what's on God's heart. That if we would just trust God and believe for God to supply and provide, yes, you can pray about it, but there's a greater call to pray for the things that are on God's heart. What is on God's heart? 2 Peter 3.9, God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And I say to people, if your prayers aren't getting answered, maybe it's time to change your prayers to the prayers God would have you pray because God will always answer the prayer that is in alignment with his word, with his will and with his heart. And as you get in alignment with what God is doing in the earth, often all these other things will simply get added to us. An example of this is in this passage in Luke 10. Jesus never asked us to pray for the harvest, meaning the salvation of lost people, because the harvest is already ready for reaping. In John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus said, Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see spiritually that the fields are white for harvest. Just this last week, I had a really um, fascinating conversation with my barber. We were deep in conversation, as was everyone else eavesdropping in and listening to the conversation. And uh, we got to one part of our chat, and he came out with the million-dollar question, will my good works get me to heaven? And I thought to myself, it doesn't get easier than this. I'm like, stand under the basket, give me the ball, and that's an easy layup. And I want to say to you, if you don't know the answer to that one, we need to begin with sharing Jesus confidently in our course, because it doesn't get easier than that. And I responded back with, have you ever heard of the phrase, Buckley's a nun? And he, he responded with, I get it, okay. I said, you've got as much chance of your good works getting you to heaven as Buckley's and none. And there was a pause in the conversation as there was in the entire barbershop. And he then asked the question, so what will get me to heaven? I'm like, thank you, Jesus. 
So sit down, brother, and take notes. You're going to be here for a little while. And so we began to unpack the answer to that question. And I began to talk to him about faith and relationship and not works and, and, and expecting that our own righteousness and our own works, in his language, in easy to understand information, was going to actually get him to heaven. And so out of that conversation, he was like, hey, can we talk about this more? And I said, absolutely. I said, let's have coffee before our next uh, haircut. And, uh, and he said, I would love to do that. And he began to actually uh, show interest in taking this conversation further. You see, you've got to understand people are more ready than we realize. There is no problem with the harvest. The issue is with the laborers. And if there is a lack of laborers, then we need to come to a point of understanding that the lack is never on God's end. In fact, the lack, if there is lack anywhere in our lives, the lack is never on God's end, it's always on ours. Either we are not praying for laborers to be raised up and sent out, or we're actually ignoring the harvest and not making ourselves available. How many of us know people are more ready than what we realize? People all around us are open to having faith and God conversations. They're not so open about church, but they are open about the supernatural, and they're open about God. And if, if there is a lack of laborers going out to, to share our faith with these people, it's often because either we're not praying about it or we're not available to hear the call and answer the call that God has for us. Can I encourage you this year to actually ask God to give you opportunities to share your faith with people? But not only that, to ask God to awaken his church and to send out laborers into the harvest field. You know, we were singing just in worship before, pour your spirit out. And we were talking about that, that we feel it in our bones that God is about to move. You know, what we're talking about was the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, we saw the Holy Spirit get poured out in Acts chapter 2. Would you know that Pentecost is actually a feast and a celebration in Israel that celebrates the grain harvest? So it's no coincidence that when the Holy Spirit gets poured out on the day of Pentecost, there is a harvest of souls. 3,000 people get added to the church after one message and encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about uh, uh, Pentecost, or when we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not just about filling us up to serve ourselves or to help us live our best life now. It's actually about, God, fill me with your spirit and your power so that I can be on mission and I can be a part of the solution of seeing the harvest come in to the kingdom of God. What preceded the harvest of 3,000 souls was God's people in prayer, in the upper room, seeking God. You see, before there is a move of God in the outer courts, there has got to be a move of God in the upper room. There's got to be prayer that people engage with. And I can see what God is shifting in the culture of our church, that, that what was true 95 years ago where we were birthed in prayer is being true as we move forward together, that there is an appetite for prayer. There is a hunger for prayer. And it's not about the task of prayer as it is about the awakening of the Spirit that comes as a result of God's people praying. 
How do we advance God's kingdom across the earth? Well, not only do we pray for laborers to reap the harvest, we pray and then we give generously to God's kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. A wealthy businessman was asked, how much money is enough money? And he answered, one more dollar. If you would ask Jesus today, how many souls is enough souls? He would answer one more soul. See, the parable of the lost sheep tells us there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. If any of you have seen the movie Schindler's List, you'll know the story that uh, uh, he was a wealthy businessman who used his money to save Jews from genocide and torture at the hands of Nazi Germany. And at the end of the movie, in the final scene, Mr. Schindler is there with these hundreds of Jews all around him. And they are looking at him with eyes and hearts of gratitude. And emotionally, he responds to them and says, I could have got one more out. I could have sold this car and got 10 more out. I could have sold this gold pin and get one more person out. Can I say to you today, don't come to the end of your life and say, I could have done more with what God had given to me. The pain of regret is always more costly than the cost and sacrifice of obedience. The only thing that Jesus is building for all eternity is his church. He is not building my dream or your dream for our great career. He is building his church. And that's why I wanna say to you, whatever work you're in, whatever business you have, whatever resource or finances you've been given, align it to the house of God. Align your earthly treasure. Invest your earthly life, this temporary life that will all go back into the box one day. The only thing that will live on is that which you've invested into eternity, into the house of God. God. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth, but lay it up in heaven. When you invest into eternity, it's not just something that even is a blessing in the now, but it's a blessing for all time. God is not against you having a great life and enjoying the things and possessions that he gives you, but he doesn't want anything to take place of the, of the lordship of Jesus in your life and the priority of the kingdom of God and what is on God's heart. Jesus said, seek, seek first my kingdom and all these other things shall be added to you. I've discovered what you truly value in life, you will invest into. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If you care only about temporary realities, you'll invest. But if you care about eternal matters, you will accordingly invest. And my prayer for all of us is that as we prepare to give to Vision Offering in a few weeks' time, that we would come to God and we would prayerfully consider, Lord, where in my life am I valuing temporary things over eternal matters? My prayer is that we would begin to see what God sees, that we would be moved by what God is moved by because as my mother once said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Jesus will last. I remember my mum would say that frequently 
and I'd be consciously thinking of what, what is it that you've called me to do, Lord, right now in light of eternity? You see, my prayer for all of us is that we would live with an eternal perspective. Do you have an eternal perspective on your life? Because the message of our culture is you gotta do whatever you wanna do now because life is so short and, and serve yourself, do what you feel. But the message of heaven is, yeah, life is short, eternity's a long time. So don't lay up treasures in the temporary reality, but lay up treasures in heaven. Invest yourself into those things that are gonna live on for all eternity. And there will be people in heaven that walk up to you and me and say, I am able to be in the presence of God for all eternity because of what you did through Numa Church, what you did through your life, how you stewarded your resource, how you stewarded your business skills and abilities. I am gonna be able to, we're gonna be able to have testimony after testimony, surprise after surprise, and realize the ripple effect of our simple act of faith because we valued eternity over the temporary. How do we advance the kingdom of God across the earth? Well, not only do we pray, not only do we give, but we go and make disciples of all nations. The Bible says in Matthew 28, 16, all authority, this is Jesus speaking, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now just think about this for a moment. Of all the things that Jesus could have done with all the authority in heaven and on earth, the mind boggles, and yet the one thing he used his authority in heaven and on earth for was to commission you and I to go and build God's family, to go and make more disciples. Shouldn't that tell us that the priority of heaven is people? The kingdom is about people. Life is about relationships with people. The body of Christ comes together not just by the bloodline of Jesus, but by our love for one another. And so the priority of our lives should always be love God, first of all the vertical, with all of our heart, soul, strength and mind, love others, Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Therefore, if we don't have a healthy relationship with ourselves, how can we have a healthy love for anybody else? So part of discipleship and learning to follow Jesus is to first of all be, be restored in, in our area of brokenness so that we can minister God's love to people around about us. And yet sadly, the stats tell us less than 2% of believers will ever introduce anybody else into a personal relationship with Jesus. And part of the reason for that is we've often made making disciples an optional extra versus our primary call. We sort of said in the busyness of our lives, well, I'm building my career and, and I've got to look after my family. Who's got time to go and make disciples? I, I know you said that, Jesus, but surely that's a suggestion. That's not really the main thing. Can I remind us today from God's word that making disciples is not an accessory item to an overcrowded life. It's the main thing. And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
Jesus did not call us to go and make disciples and build his family as sort of like an afterthought or an optional extra. He's called us to whatever we do, with whatever gifts, abilities, capacities, and opportunities we have to bring glory to his name by going out and sharing our faith and our love with people, making disciples of all nations and all people groups. You see, to make a disciple, you first gotta be one because you reproduce who you are. I can't pass on to you something that I'm not. And so when Jesus said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. If we aren't proactively engaged in the pursuit of fishing for others and helping others actually discover the truth and reality of who Jesus is, we have to ask the question, who am I following? And Whilst I think it's absolutely brilliant and wonderful that we have the privilege of coming together and worshiping God every week for a short period of time here in this auditorium at all of our locations, can, can I ask us to begin to ask God to give us a bigger vision of what it means to follow Jesus than 90 minutes on a Sunday? 90 minutes on a Sunday is a short little window in a week and what a lot of Christians do is they engage for 90 minutes and then the rest of their lives they live however they want during the week. Can I simply say that this is the overflow, this gathering is that epicenter where we're fueled up and we're empowered to go and follow Jesus 24-7 in the rest of our life. As we heard last week, we're not a luxury cruise liner, we're an aircraft carrier and we're called to go and make disciples of all people groups, every tribe, every tongue, wherever God sends us to, you know, too often we're guilty of trying to make something of our lives rather than coming to Jesus and just letting him make something of our lives. I remember years ago as a teenager trying to make something of my life, big dreams, none of it worked. But when I just stopped and I just turned away from that and said, God, here's my life, I make myself available, do what you want with it, he made something of my life. And what he made was far greater and far glorious than what I could ever make it because God is looking for willing and available hearts. You know, sometimes going and making disciples actually looks like staying and ministering in the environment you already find yourself in. Often we think, so does that mean, Pastor Corey, I've got to go jump on a plane and get martyred in Ecuador like, to, to fulfill this? No, that's not what God's saying. He may be to one or two, I don't know. That's between you and God. I'll just let you know, I'm not catching that flight, all right? I'm just letting you know. Why, because he hasn't called me to do that. But sometimes we, we think that it's somewhere out there, and for some of you, it, is, it will look like a mission trip. For some of you, it will look like to go and plant a church or to go and start a business in another country. For some, it will require you to sacrifice some of the comforts and conveniences of this life and go somewhere, but for many of us, it will actually look like staying and making disciples right where we are. You see, the story, true story of a man in the States who felt a prophetic call and burden to go and minister to Middle Eastern people. And God was speaking to him and showing all these pictures of Middle Eastern uh, people groups and nations and he goes home to his wife and he's like, you know, I think God's calling us to move to the Middle East. Well, she was not excited about that at all and she's like, no, I don't think that's God. I, I think that's bad pizza. Let, we're not going and doing that. 
Um, uh, and so, you know, this man went back to God and God, Lord, I thought you were calling us to minister to people of the Middle East. And he was a cab driver. And no sooner was he reflecting on this and asking this question that all of these Middle Eastern clients started to hop into his cab, one after the other. And this went on for days and days and days. And he's thinking to himself, I think God actually wants me to reach out to Middle Eastern people right now in my cab. And so he starts to minister the love of Jesus and share his faith and find out with a captive audience for 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes, one after the other, started to get saved in his camp. Can I tell you, whenever God calls you to go and make disciples of all nations, he begins right where you are with what is in your hand. You don't necessarily need to, while some of you will, need to jump on a plane and go somewhere, but the reality is every single one of us are called to go and make disciples disciples of all nations. You see, whenever God used someone in the Bible, he began with what was in their hand. He comes to Moses and says, Moses, I've called you to deliver my people Israel out of slavery and bondage. Moses, like you and I, offered up all the excuses as to why that was a bad idea. And God goes, what's in your hand? And Moses said, a stick. He said, throw the stick down. And the stick turned into a snake miraculously. And God said, pick it up, turn back into a stick. He said, now go. I am with you. I'll be in your mouth. I'll be in that stick. And I will actually bring about freedom for my people. But I'm going to begin with what's in your hand. Comes to young David. David learned what to do with a sling and a stone. And David is facing Goliath. And when King Saul should have gone and fought Goliath, David says, I will go and fight Goliath. And David thought, oh, let's put my armor on him because, you know, he's a little kid. He, what's he going to, he, he doesn't know how to fight. So at least give him some defensive protection. And David's like, no, it's untested. It's untried. I can't wear someone else's armor. I'm going to pick up what's in my hand. What was in your hand, David? A sling and a stone. And he conquered a giant. Another part of the Bible, God commands a widow of Zarephath who is poor and broken to feed the prophet Elijah in a famine. And Elijah comes and says to the widow, can you please get me a morsel of bread and some water? And this woman offered up all the reasons why she couldn't do that because she was broken, she was in poverty, and she was about to have their last meal and die. She said, all I have is a handful of flour and a drop of oil, and the prophet said, that's all God needs. As long as you sow into the kingdom what is in your hand, God will make sure that he will multiply that flour and that oil to serve you and your family. And the Bible says that until the end of the famine, the, ju the jug of oil was not empty, nor the jar of flour. When it comes to the feeding of the 5,000, there's just story after story in the Bible. When it comes to the feeding of the 5,000, anyone remember the little boy with the loaves and fishes? What is that to feed so many? I've only got five loaves, two fishes, what is that? Yeah, in your hands, it might just look like five loaves and two fishes, but in God's hand, it'll multiply and feed the masses. What has God put into your hand? A gift, ability, a talent, a resource, finances, a treasure, whatever God has given to you, can I encourage you to sow it into the kingdom of God? It will multiply. Not only will it be an incredible blessing in your life, because the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive, 
But you'll also discover that that seed will multiply and become a harvest and an orchard of the kingdom of God in somebody else's life, in a people group, in a city, in a nation, around the world, to the glory of God the Father. Habakkuk prophesied there's coming a day when the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord. And Jesus, the Son of God, comes along and goes, this is how that prophecy will become a reality. Don't lay up treasure in heaven. Make sure you give. But before you give, honor God in your prayer life. Pray for laborers to be sent out. And as you pray and give, go and make disciples of all nations and watch what I do through your life. Can I invite you to stand on your feet with me? And I wanna pray for you today as we reflect on what God has spoken to us. As your eyes are closed, I just wanna invite you right now in this moment, if you say, God, I wanna use what's in my hand. I wanna be available and I wanna be a part of this mission that you've called us as a church and me as an individual to, to go disciple the nations. I wanna be that person of prayer. I wanna be available to be sent to my neighbours, to my workplace, to wherever God you send me. I wanna be generous in my giving. I wanna honour you with what you've entrusted to me. And I wanna go. I wanna get out that comfort zone and actually go and share my faith with someone and help them along the journey of following Jesus. If that's you today, I wanna pray with you. Just raise your hand up if that's you and say, you know, today, God, I make myself available. I hear the call. I wanna answer this. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for every person with their hands raised. I thank you, Father, that you are calling people still thousands of years later from when the, Habak- Hab- uh, the prophet prophesied Habakkuk, when, when Jesus gave us that great commission, the call remains the same. And Father, we hear that call. We lay down our lives. We make ourselves available. We set ourselves apart for what you've set us apart for. And I'm praying right now in Jesus' Name that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit that God, we would be courageous, fearless and relentless in what you've called us to do until you come back. That God, you said that we are to occupy the land, subdue it, exercise dominion, go and preach the gospel to all creation. And all of us are at different stages and parts of this journey. But today, Lord, you've reminded us that we've all got a part to play. We've all got a role to fulfill. We've all got something to contribute. Father, I pray your blessing and your favour upon us as we go. I thank you, Lord, that you promised to be with us, that you'll be with us to the end of the age. And I thank you, Father, that you've called us. There are no reinforcements or cavalry we're in, but you in us is enough. Your Word in us is enough. What's in our hand is enough to do what you've called us to do. And so, Father, we're going to sow faithfully. We're going to pray faithfully. We're going to go faithfully. And as we do, Lord, let the name of Jesus be glorified and let your kingdom be advanced across the earth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. 
Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you're ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.